uh, I've got tickets and we're all going to go see Elf this evening. <laughs> and I went, oh, with James Kahn. And James Kahn's in, in Elf, right? And he's also right, in The Godfather. Right, 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 right. And she looked at me as if to be like, <laughs> yes, but why the hell would that A, matter to you? Or B, how do you know that at all? Because that's what you're like now. You're yeah, like yeah, yeah. that niche thing, or you're, you're like the guy who corrects the grammar, but for film and what year something came out. So I love that at nine years old, you were already like semi-formed, yeah. just like knowing way too much about dates and cars and who was in something. She didn't even that's turn amazing. her- she didn't even turn her head. It was just a side glance. Oh, what, with James Carter? <laughs> yeah. Oh, with James Carter? <laughs> yeah. Made for a production budget of 46 million release. <laughs> so I was working on a shoot yesterday. Yeah. And the subject of the shoot was shooting these action figures, right? I can't say what it is because I, I, I told them I, I couldn't say what it was, but okay. in case you could guess, they were like mainstream IP cinema action figures. Sure like very high grossing sure. action figures. And before we did the, before we like went into it, we had a couple of meetings about it, about planning it. Yeah. And the guys that were working on it, all very lovely. And they were like, you know, it's kind of hard for us because we don't really know much about these IP. We haven't really watched or seen them. And I was like, it's all right, I've got you. <laughs> I, I will know all of this. And they're like, oh, that's good. And there are a couple of moments where we're like framing these action figures and we're putting like a character A with character B. And there were certain things that they were like, is this normal? And I'm like, nope, yeah. wouldn't hold the weapon that way. Those, <laughs> those two don't exist in the same timeline that your client, because they, they established that the client is very particular about right. how these look and if it's consistent yeah. and you can't use certain words and they can't be positioned a certain way. And I'm like, those two are not of the same era. Yeah. They are in a different universe, yeah. or they are in a different. Or that person's scale is yeah. not right for how big yeah. they are. That's just not going to go. In a couple of moments, I was talking about events in these IP like they were periods of history. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of detail I had retained. In a couple of moments, I was like, "Yeah, but I want to see that." And then that happened, and then that happened like thirty years before. And I just sort of caught people looking at me, and I was like, "Jesus Christ, I'm, <laughs> I'm such a nerd." Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you never know what will one day become very professionally useful. I I love it when absolute junk that's been in my head for years yes. suddenly becomes useful information. And yeah, it's, it's sometimes just, it happens on this podcast. <laughs> yes, yeah. It was one of those days where like, I, it would be like, I'd be 10, 11 years old, summer holidays. It was a sunny day and I'm like inside playing computer games. But I was like, what are you doing? You're wasting your life. You're never going to use these skills again. You should be outside. I'm like, no, like one day I'm going to work in video games or I'm studying for my real job. Do you know that um, this reminds me? We'd be me. like, you've seen this film five times. <laughs> yeah. How much more do you need yeah, to know? Yeah, how much more do you need to know? But that is actually, well, that's how you grow your film love, don't you? Because you, you sort of end up mm. sort of in a childlike way studying the film by just rewatching it over and over oh, again yeah. for different things. You just reminded me that of when you know when people look at you when you sort of reveal your deeper knowledge yes. and stuff. I uh, I was reminded of a story uh, of when I was nine years old, right? And Elf had come out. Okay? Yeah, two thousand and three. Okay, right? And oh, it was Elf two thousand and three. It was. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I remember that. Okay, I. You know, I, for some reason, I had seen The Godfather when I was nine. I don't know why that was useful information, but I knew, I'd seen it. I knew the actors in it and everything. Like, I was very, very impressed with it. And I remember that um, uh, this mum, I was, at, I was at, at a friend's house, right? And the mum came in. And there was a group of us, and we were like, yeah. And she was like, guys, great news. Uh, I've got tickets, and we're all going to go see Elf this evening. <laughs> and I went, oh, with James Kahn. And James Kahn's in, in Elf, right? And he's also right, in The Godfather. Right, 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 right. And she looked at me as if to be like, <laughs> yes, but why the hell would that A, matter to you? Or B, how do you know that at all? Because that's what you're like now. You're yeah, like yeah, yeah. that niche thing, or you're, you're like the guy who corrects the grammar, but for film and what year something came out. So I love that at nine years old, you were already like semi-formed, yeah. just like knowing way too much about dates and cast who was in something. She didn't even that's turn amazing. her- she didn't even turn her head. It was just a side glance. Oh, what, with James Carter? <laughs> yeah. Oh, with James Carter? Yeah. Made for a production budget of 46 million release. <laughs> I think she was just fun. thinking, why can't you be like the other kids? For yeah. God's sake. Every time George comes over, this happens. So George, let's go through some correspondence. Thank you, as always, for sending us your thoughts, your little mini reviews, your opinions, your verdicts. Uh, if you want to send an email to the show, you can do so by emailing hello at Pulp Kitchen Podcast. And just as always, 
we get a lot and we, and we do try and read yeah. it all and we do try and include it all, but we are a little bit pressed for time. So if, if we haven't included it, doesn't mean we haven't read it, doesn't mean we don't love it. And it might just, be in the next week. It might be in the next week or we might be uh, taking what you've suggested to us and formulating it into an episode idea. This one is from Luke. Hello, beautiful legends, especially you, George. <laughs> love the glasses. Oh, uh, I saw your latest episode on underrated actors and someone who I was surprised that did con up is James Rebhorn or Rebhorn. Yes. He was in yes. uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, yes. Scent of a Woman and Carlito's Way and many other films. I'm writing to you because I think you should do an episode on actors' worst films and best film. For example, what would Jake Gyllenhaal's worst film be? October Sky or something like that. Love your podcast from your previous colonized neighbor, Ireland. And that's from Luke. Luke, thank you. His own comments there. Uh, (laughs) um, I would say that, okay, let's break it down. You wrote this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love my glasses. About James Rebhorn, uh, great actor, sadly no longer with us. Uh, He was in, yeah, he was this character actor who cropped up in a couple of notable roles. He was in Talented Mr. Ripley, he plays Jude Law's father, Jude Law's father, who who first enlists Matt Damon to go out and help him. And he's also in a very underrated, I think the most underrated David Fincher film, I think it's not just me saying that. I think most yeah, people yeah. say it, which is called The Game. I don't know if you've ever seen no, that. No, I've not seen The Game. The say. Game is really interesting. So Michael Douglas, and it's about uh, he's like a rich billionaire whose father committed suicide, and and he's now approaching the birthday, which is the age at which his father was also at when he committed suicide. Right, right? and he's very alone. He's very successful, but he's kind of empty inside. And Sean Penn plays this kind of like wild brother and says, I've, I've got you this present. And it's basically like you sign up to this. Oh, I think it's like you sign up to this company or whatever, and uh, it's like they. They, they basically like, um, it's not like they kidnap you, but they make you feel like you're part, uh, it, the whole experience is to give you like a real experience. Right. But, but the whole thing is that Michael Douglas says, oh, I don't really want to do that. And then you lose track of what's real and what's not. Uh, uh, and what's, what's the game. You know, do you remember that film Game Night? With, with yeah. Jason Bateman. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. In that, I, you, I know you know, the, the joke was like, uh, is this part of the game or is it part of the... Yes, the yeah, yeah. Uh, that, but serious. Right, right I, see, okay? I see, I see. And um, it ends really well, the game. I really, I, I personally really liked it. It's, it's quite a, like, like a, like a really endearing ending. But he's in that James Rebhorn as a kind of like uh, shady figure. And he was also in 30 Rock as Liz Lemon's doctor, I want to say. Was 30 Rock good? I love 30 Rock. Would it work to watch now? I... I haven't rewatched it ever, mm. but only because I don't think it's not as on it's not on streaming as e- easily. I don't yeah, think. Yeah, it's not. But is it? It, it's great. And uh, so James Report. And then about the other one about actors' worst films, I'd have to think about it. Yeah, but I guess it's not a, bit a good idea. I see what you mean though. When you see someone great in something terrible. Yeah, because that happens quite a lot. I guess we wouldn't want to do just like everyone actors' worst films. It would be nice to say, but look yeah. at all their great films. But, yeah, or yeah. the one film where actors get to prove themselves, or maybe. Yeah, didn't didn't Michael Caine say that? He he always thinks people are so stressed out. He says, when someone asked him, what advice would you give to young actors? He was like, don't be so stressed out about choosing your work. He was like, I did so many bad films when I was young and it made yeah. me a better actor, a better performer. And it made yes. me better at choosing better films in the future. Yes. And he's done so many films. He's like, just do everything. Yeah. Do a load of everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, great, thanks, Luke. This one is from Mark. Um, Hi, gents. I saw clips on TikTok and they were too short, so I found you on YouTube. Good, so good. Much. good uh, I can believe you're not in the hundreds. I can't believe you're not in the. He says I can believe you're not in the hundreds of thousands of followers, but I. Think- oh, I hate to disappoint you, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, he said. I think he means I can't. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, love your show. I'd love to hear you discuss the Cornetto trilogy and the sheer brilliance of Edgar Wright. Keep up the great work. Subbed, Mark. Thank you so much. We uh, yes. we did it. We released a video. I want to say about a month ago, which was called "The Genius of Edgar Wright." Ed- Edgar Wright, yeah. Which, why are you saying? Ed- I, I said it, saying, I said that twice now. Why are you saying it? Edgar? Edgar Wright. Wright. I don't it's know. Edgar. Edgar. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was uh, Edgar Hoover. <laughs> it was no. It was a while back. It was early this year. It was a thing about Edgar Wright. We had a discussion about how um, I've rewatched Hot Fuzz and I had seen Spaced and neither yes. of us had seen Last Night in Soho but yes. Mark if you want that video exists there we talk a lot about the success your thoughts. of that yeah. um, this one is from Red Hood what do you guys think of James Spader? Not necessarily underrated, but just curious about your thoughts. I have no thoughts on James Spader. Okay, George. well, this is because we did the underrated actors episode a couple yes. of weeks ago. Uh, I actually really like James Spader. Um, you know, many roles you could pull out, but I love him in Pretty in Pink. Have you ever seen that? No. He plays the bully in that, and he's really good. young in it, and he's this kind of uh, preppy. He's kind of dressed a bit like Don Johnson in Miami Vice, very sort of loose-fitting, uh, white-linen blazer trousers combo you first see him leaning up against this car and he's a bit of a sleaze he tries to hit on um 
Molly Ringwald's character, and he's kind of blown off, and he's just this kind of, because, you know, James Spader's got that kind of lisp, and he'll be like, yeah, what are you doing here, man? You're kind of sick. And there's a bit where he has a fight <laughs> with uh, the character of Ducky, and he sort of, like, spits on the floor, and he's, like, got his, like, hair up, he freaks it up, and he's just like, yeah, uh, I'm James Spader. It's just, it's just very, I, I really enjoy watching him in that film. Nice. Um, I, I haven't probably explained it very well, but, no, no, um, no. yeah, James Spader, I like him. Cool. Um... Uh, just a quick one from Jack, who says, I 100% agree with the Chronicle take. I almost said it myself, actually. The way they twist the found footage genre with the floating camera. That's something we didn't mention about that moment where he's testing his powers out. So wait, and this, and is he, when we... this is when we talked about underrated films. Right, and, and somebody then, then somebody wrote, in, wrote in and said Chronicle. We were like, yeah, Chronicle. Yeah. But we, we, I think we did criticize it for being at the end of the found footage era and, and sort really of forcing stretching it through. The, yeah, yeah. But there is a cool shot where Dane DeHaan is like starting to play with his powers and he actually like lifts up the, the camera that yes, he's filming on and starts yeah. turning it. But yeah, was no, it fair. called Chronicle because it was chronicled on video? N- I've never thought of that ever, and that's probably why. <laughs> I have not connected. Of... I just thought like generic comic booky yeah, so name, superhero yeah. name. Yeah, because huh. it's chronicled randomly. But they never address the fact that they're filming. Mm. All I remember is that they sing along to a Jesse J song. I think there's a shot where Michael. Do you remember that when they're in the car? It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like singing it, but I'm like, you guys wouldn't sing along to Jesse J. Like, would you? I get, I, maybe not. Because it's They're all realistic. there like, it's all about the money, money. And I'm like, uh, really? And Michael B. Jordan is like, hey, yo, I- I'm going to film this. And yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, giving yeah. it an in for, I think it's something at a party. But yeah, Chronicle. Um, this is from Zach, who says, I agree with the Mac Damon comment. This is again from underrated actors. Yes. I think actors can be well-known, but still underrated in their acting ability, which was your point. Uh, Adam Sandler was great in Uncut Gems, for example. I yes. think Nicolas Cage fits into the well, into, into the I think Nicolas Cage fits into the well-known, but underrated talent category too, or at least he did for a while. Um, um, I think Nicolas Cage is his own, own entity. Yeah, his <laughs> own thing. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's less good. He is he is he's dedicated. Cage. If you ever want to get into his mind, well, watch the GQ video, which is like Nicolas Cage breaks down his most iconic roles, and you will understand Ooh, how much commitment he actually goes through. Have you ever seen Moonstruck? Moonstruck no. is such a weird film. Right? Yeah, so, all of his films. So it's the film where Cher won an Oscar. It's a <laughs> Italian-American set rom-com in, uh, you know, the Little Italy in, in New York, right? And uh, she's getting married to uh, an older guy who's like, a, he runs a pizzeria, I think. Or, or they get him married and she says, you need to make up with your brother, okay? And he doesn't want to. So she tries, because they're getting married, so he wants a nice family together. Yeah. So she goes to visit the brother who's younger, who's Nicolas Cage. And he works in the bakery and he's really pissed off because he, he lost his hand in an unfortunate baking accident and he now has a wooden hand. I'm not, so I'm not kidding. Nicholas Cage plays a, an, a, ba- a baker with a wooden hand. And when Cher's like, why can't you make up with your brother? He's like, Johnny didn't lose his hand. I lost my hand. I lost my bride. And it's like, whoa, Nicholas Cage has arrived. Way this? And Cher's performance is really basically her just trying to like, like hold Nicolas Cage in place. <laughs> yeah. um, but when you watch this video that Nicolas Cage did with the GQ, he's like, I was trying to get kind of like German expressionist. And he was like referring to German expressionist films in the 20s. And when they were all very sort of stilted and cast with like the long shadows. And he was like, that's what I was doing there. Kind of the doctor who came. Um, the B- cabinet of C- yeah, D. And, and people were like, okay. That's great. The great, Nick. But <laughs> love it. Bring it down. Anyway, no. uh, yeah, I wonder how many amazing takes that Nicolas Cage gave that aren't used because they're that much crazier than the final film. <laughs> they're, <laughs> se- they're sealed in a vault somewhere. Yeah. Someone has got rushes from films where Nicolas Cage is going even more ham yeah. than we've seen him in the takes that made it in. Like I know, I know that exists. But someone's yeah. like Nicolas, Cage, hey Nick, like the idea is great. I love how creative yeah. we're getting, but you know, I think I think for what the scene needs, yeah. we need to bring it down. Um, One last thing on Nicolas Cage. There is a very funny video that came out probably like twelve years ago but it's still relevant oh, yeah, from college humor called nicholas cage's agent do you remember that oh you don't remember that no i thought we were talking about him losing his oh shit. nicholas cage losing his shit was it's very iconic. famous because they put it to the record yeah. dream one but there's a uh, basically this college humor sketch where this guy plays nicholas cage's agent and he's just <laughs> off he's made like sorcerer's apprentice and knowing it's all <laughs> yeah, terrible and the skit works because basically the, the poster behind the agent keeps changing with every new film. He's like, you got to get more selective with your films, Nicky. Like this one, it's all about a Nazi who speaks in adverbs. Okay, he's like, I'll do it. Wait, Nick, no. And then the next bit, the post is like swastically. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's really, really good. Knowing is quite is quite a film. That is. <laughs> So, this week, I want to talk about standout scenes, right? We've talked in previous episodes about great movie endings, okay? Mm -hmm. But when we were talking about underrated actors, remember I talked about Brian Tyree Henry, and I said about that scene in If Bill Street Could Talk, and it all comes down to that moment where he has that performance. And If Bill Street Could Talk is one of those films when I think about it, it's like lots of stuff happens, and then it kind of grounds itself in that one scene in the middle, and then continues. And it got me thinking about what are films that you could just for whatever their quality good films bad films but you can extract a scene out of it as like a perfect block and go that i can just watch from beginning to end i just love that it's got it's got you feel like you're watching great writing it's almost like a great scene almost has its origins in like theater but you're like i'm mm. watching something play out in a little micro film i'm watching like a micro moment so you and i've gone away and thought about our standout scenes we've got a couple this will feature spoilers because I, yeah. although they're not endings, uh, they will be pivotal moments within the plot. So do be forewarned. Um, there are a couple I couldn't include because they are actually technically endings. So right. we'll have to save that for a second ending to chat. But James, do you want to talk about standout scenes? What are you sure. got? I just like the first, when I when I started going through this list, I realized okay, I've got like twenty, yeah. so I need to narrow this down. And I was realizing that. This isn't the best movie scenes of all time no. because that I think it's just a collection of scenes that for some reason Stick struck out. us and that I think we'd be interested in talking about as why they're successful. You know, it's yeah, not, it's not the best list. I think an I, 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 um, an example of whether something is a good scene is if you find yourself six months later typing into YouTube just yes. to find that specific moment. Like I, you know, I, I I've done this and I've done if you've done this, but I have friends who do this that if they're a bit drunk, they come back from a party, like they watch particular movie scenes. They're always like, yes. I, I want to watch that scene. They don't want to watch the whole film. They want to watch that scene. Yes. So with that in mind, mm -hmm. what do you got? So I've got a few. I chose some from fairly different genres because Great. I thought good scenes in different types of films. My first one, and I'll explain why, is the girl in the red coat from Schindler's List. Of course, right. Yeah. And I think the reason why I bring up this scene is because. One of the one of the great, great things about watching older films, and especially films that came out from before you were born, right, or before you were alive to be around them in pop sure. culture, is that I think sometimes you, you're watching an old film and it makes you realize, oh, that's where that style came from. Yes. Or that's where these were the people who did that thing first. Mm. And, you know, Shinners This came out in 93 and I was born in 94. And it was a black and white film when it didn't need to be black and white. But it had this very distinct choice to have this one moment, which is like Oscar Schindler's turning point, where he realizes what's mm. going on. And it's a very famous scene, but I'm sure you know, where Oscar Schindler is up on the hill and he's looking over Krakow as uh, Germans sweep in or essentially around him. And he's on a horseback. Right? And, he's on, and he's on horseback and he's facing on this hill and has a, has a bird's eye view of it. And the whole film has been in black and white at this yeah. point. And Sorry, I'm sorry. To, oh, it's sorry, the please. liquidization of the the uh, Jewish ghetto in Krakow. That's yes. Yeah. Thank you. Apologies, I don't have that. Like, yeah. And... Um, He's isolated on this one girl emerging from a hiding place and she's wearing a red coat and it is the only part of the film that's in color. Mm. And um, it immediately sticks out to you. And it's, it's this kind of idea and it follows her basically going through the city, avoiding mm. the Germans at like the split second away yeah. from being essentially being taken away to, to her death. And she eventually finds her own little, little hiding point. And that's the moment of, like, of no mm. return, really, where Oscar mm. Shinley realizes what's happened and he can't hide away from it and he must go on to do what he does in the rest of the film. But you realize that how many people have not only like taken that idea, mm. but copied it, yeah. Even like, even like parodied it to the point mm. where it's like this overused thing, and now it's probably now I think it's reduced to like yes. film students doing yeah. this or even in photography. But you look at that and you go, that is such an effective original yes. way to communicate how a character is thinking mm. and feeling with a scene, mm. and that's why I think it's so effective and it burns itself into the mm. back of your eyes. I I think that's a really interesting example of Spielberg. Schindler's List was such an interesting point in Spielberg's career where you had a basically a pop director. Yes. Grounding himself in something, blockbuster director grounding himself in something very, very serious. And that scene is incredibly effective. But in a way, if you think about that style objectively, that's almost yeah. quite uh, advertorial. Yes. That could be a, the language of an advert. Awful, but it, it sounds, sounds awful. like a clone ad. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, we're going to have it all set in black and white, but one distinct color. That is yeah. the language of advertising. Now, yes. I don't think that when I watch that scene. Coca-Cola can, right? right? I don't think that when I watch that scene. No. Because it's incredibly effective. But it's interesting to see he's applying his 
skills honed in a completely different mode of filmmaking, a completely different genre and tone to this. Um, I really like that scene. Um, what we talked recently about the Northman and about how the Northman yes. sets up those like tableaus of chaos where yes. it's following the primary action, but meanwhile around it, there's just absolute chaos and carnage happening. Yeah. A snippet of violence here, a bit there. And that's exactly what's happening in that scene. Mm. The girl is wondering kind of she it's almost slightly directionless but she's she's not engaging with her environment around she, she's, she's almost saying too young to yeah. properly understand the yes. danger she's yeah. in but kind of a little bit yeah. and it's that that frailty and that vulnerability but that, yeah yeah and there's but there's awful things happening all around us your eye is trying to stay on her um, yeah. the whole time and it's almost like compelling you in a good way because you're not then taking in the outside stuff but when you look away there's all these other horrible things happening um Incredibly effective. It's like that thing about how, you know, you can hear about numbers of people who are affected yes, by something, yeah. but it only takes like one personal story for you to now yes. care, right? Yeah. Um, a really interesting way of visualizing that chaos. And then of course, sadly, then heartbreakingly, like a couple of scenes later, yeah. he's at, he, he, he thinks it's snowing, doesn't he? He goes and then they're burning the bodies. Yes. And then you see the, the coat in the pile that's like, it's that's, aw that's awful. Terrible. That scene is truly, oh, yeah. truly awful. I, I, it's, it's weird how much I forget about that film because of how truly horrifying it is, uh, it is to watch. It yeah. is, uh, you know, one of those examples where it's like, it's you want to watch it, you feel like you should watch it more often, but yeah. you can't because it's a great, great example. What yeah. way to kick off the show, James? Sorry to bring it down, <laughs> no, but it is, it is a genuinely great scene and you can you can watch it in isolation and enjoy yeah. it without feeling like you need to watch the whole film and it, it's famous. Well, whilst we've brought the tone to a quite a serious, quite a serious, serious moment, I'll actually follow that. That's why with, I started with it because we're going to perk mm. ourselves back up. <laughs> <I'm> sure, <laughs> are we? Yeah. Um, I've got a comedy one. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a, a serious one as well with a film that is... Um, I wouldn't say overrated because when it was released, it was rated, but it okay. got completely overlooked because it came out in 2020 yeah. and it was a low budget indie film, right? Mm -hmm. This is a film uh, called Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, okay? Okay. Uh, it's uh, by a director called Eliza Hitman, I believe. The story is this. It's about, uh, I think, a 17-year-old girl in, I want to say, Arkansas or somewhere in the Midwest mm -hmm. who finds out she's pregnant. Yeah. And she's everything about her life is gray. She, uh, she's on stage at the beginning singing a song and like someone shouts out and calls her a slut from the audience right. and she's like heartbroken by it. She has a very detached relationship with her mum and her mum's boyfriend and she's deeply unhappy. She works at the supermarket with her best friend with, uh, yeah, with her best friend and the, the manager's very sort of creepy and like likes holding her hands and there's a scene where she has to cash up and it's really, you know, awful. Anyway, she discovers that she's pregnant and that and she can't get a because of the abortion laws in that state, she can't get an abortion without a parent being her parent or a guardian being with her. But obviously she can't do that because she doesn't want to tell her guardian. So she and her friend decide to get on a bus to go to New York to and literally like they gather whatever money they have. And her friend is like, I've got, I've got all this, let's just try and help you. And they get on this bus to go to New York to try and get an abortion in like 24 hours, right? I'm making this sound like it's like a, a whip, a whip, right? No, this it's like pretty serious, you know, obviously yeah. some stuff. And just a side note, this is a really great film that um, every time a man is in, is in this film, the, the male presence is filmed with such tension and dread that it makes you like deeply uncomfortable. So there's a bit where they're on the bus and there's a guy who's their age and he's like seen them and he's clearly quite interested in them. And he, he like asks them a question. They sort of ignore him. And then he leans over to, to poke them, to ask them a fairly innocent question, but the camera follows his finger as it leans over and like prods them. And it's this kind of invasive oh. presence. And it makes you just on edge about, all male presence mm. in the film. Anyway, I digress. The scene that it comes down to, so you've got all this action and then there's all this, they get to the, you know, the bus terminal, it's crazy depressing. And But eventually, uh, as the plot progresses, she does get, manage to get an appointment and she is, has to go through a health questionnaire. And the scene is entirely on her face and you just hear the voice of the medical examiner. By the way, the actress who plays this, I think it was her first film. I don't think she was a professional actress before. And the medical examiner reads out these questions, the answers of which are never, rarely, sometimes, or always. So right. how often would you say you do this? Yes, and classic. in the space of 20 questions, 
she asks the main character the, uh, you know, the, this questionnaire, your understanding of this character, what she's been through, how she's come to this situation see, is completely cool. revealed and illuminated and broken. And she becomes very emotional and it is a very emotional scene. And it's just like the sparse simplicity of using that as a device and watching her like almost like unravel in real time as mm. you also learn it. And then the film then progresses and you're like, my complete understanding of this person I've spent this entire yeah. film with is completely different now. And you and reduce it to these like three three answers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, because you know, it's a strange name for a film and uh, yeah, never rarely, sometimes always. And uh, it's just brilliant. I remember then I kind of couldn't concentrate on the scenes afterwards because I kept thinking, that was a bloody good scene. That yeah. was, I was like, that is really effective. Um, so that's a film called Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Nice. Worth checking out. I will also just say a funny fact about uh, that film from like a film, indus film industry point is that there was another film that came out at the very similar time, maybe a year later with the exact same premise, but played much, broad, like it was book smart. It was called, right. it was called Unpregnant, I think. And it had Barbie Ferreira from Euphoria, who plays Cat. Right. And Hayley Lou Richardson. And that, instead of being like Same. what I've just described, yeah. this was like, Same dude, format, I got pregnant. It? We got to go on a road trip <laughs> to this next state. And like, I got to get an abortion. And it's like, I'm not, I haven't seen that film. I don't, I don't know if it's good or bad, but like it's, it's interesting the that they basically the exact same premise is, is played out in completely different ways, right? Isn't that mad? That is so, yeah, it's strange. Yeah. It anyway. just shows you like tone of voice. Yeah. <laughs> Both could be equally, you what know. What kind of year the directors had before they start to get attached to it. <laughs> I know. So, uh, yeah, that was interesting. So never really, sometimes always. That sounds out. great. Yeah, that yeah. sounds really good. Um, my next one, is, the reason I brought it up is because it's a film we brought up, I think, last week or the week before. And it's in a film called Nocturnal Animals. And it is the oh. highway scene when oh, no, Aaron yes. Taylor Johnson, uh, so, yeah, if you haven't seen Nocturnal Animals, it's directed by Tom Ford, and it is about this uh, this woman who is reading the book that her ex lover has written, yes. and it's different but very similar to their relationship, and it's like deeply intense, deeply personal, and she knows it's about their relationship, mm. and it describes this incredibly violent scene, and it, even though this isn't real, it's what happened in the book, this one scene is, is so tense and oh, gripping, so it's so master yeah. masterfully done. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty long scene, and it's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Isla Fisher, who looks a lot like Amy Adams, yes. who's, meant, who's actually reading this part. Cast, yeah. and it's deliberately cast, they're deliberately meant to look the same, but Jake Gyllenhaal, who, is, um, who also plays her boyfriend in current yeah. day, also plays this no, role. No, 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 no. Jay who plays the ex who's He's written like this ex. book. Sorry, sorry, yes. Army Hammer plays her current uh, boyfriend. Yeah, no, yeah. No, sorry, current boyfriend. Anyway, yes, sorry, but just, you're right, you're right. And, um, He's remembered the same in the book because you yeah. can tell that she's reading it as, yeah. as she would imagine, and it depicts a scene where Jake Gyllenhaal, Isla Fisher, and their two, their two, their daughter—it's just their one daughter, just the one daughter—are driving along, and they they get sort of encountered by this truck of like. You know, just Yankee worst, degenerates, worst people, the worst imaginable. kinds of people you could ever imagine. And in classic Tom Ford fashion, even though they're like meant to be disheveled, he still looked like he came off an East Saint Laurent runway <laughs> with like the swept hair, yeah. loose shirt, like boots and jeans. But anyway, they end up stopping on the highway, and these these guys are coming up to them and they're like come on just get out the car we'll help you and they're they're like pretending to help them and you're watching this whole time you you even though you're hoping it doesn't get that bad even watching it for a second time you're yeah. like oh my god please don't please don't, please yeah. don't do it and i know how it's going to end but i'm like please just stay in the car don't uh. go and it it just gets it escalates further and further and further to this boiling point and it's it's impossible to watch that film without just curling your toes and locking your fingers up mm. and i think it's i think it's absolutely fantastic and it's so gripping and you know it ends up being the worst that you could ever yeah. imagine where um, Jake Gyllenhaal's daughter and his wife are abducted by the men and he is left alone trying to find out what happened to them and 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 like I don't want to spoil it, but it is not it is not a happy no, story no. of what happened. Incredibly intense, but and violent, but but brilliant. But there's, there's a performed. bit in that scene as well where it's got to like the tense point, and Jake Gyllenhaal's trying to be that kind of like mild mannered city bloke, trying does, to keep everyone. Yeah, calm. he does everything uh, that he should. Uh, yeah, and then a police car is oh driving on the highway, yes, yeah, yeah. and Jake Gyllenhaal 
brakes and goes, hey, oh, hey, 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 hey. And the police car just drives straight, straight past. past. And, it's, and that's the switch yeah, point. Because he's broken now. And Aaron Taylor-Johnson is just looking at him like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's oh. just it's just nail-bitingly tense. And I thought it was maybe just so uncomfortable thinking about just that think, again. Just thinking about it makes your yeah. skin curl. And just you reminded of it. You reminded me of that film the other day, and now I'm yes. like, oh, what a, what a film and what a scene yes. that, that I think you'll never forget. And I'm never going to drive down a highway and, and ask someone to help me change my tire yeah. without thinking about that yeah. scene. Um, and it's just, yeah, beautifully directed, beautifully acted. Yeah. If you haven't seen Nocturnal Animals yet, I haven't ruined that scene for you. You could still go watch that and find it just as suspenseful. So, yeah. <sighs> Well, fittingly, I'm going to follow that. That that scene in that in that in, in uh, Nocturnal Animals takes place in West Texas, right? Yes. I'm going to give you another scene that's set in Texas mm-hmm. from another film. And actually, almost when people talk to me about standout scenes for a long time, this was the one that I would always think of in my mind. Mm-hmm. I'd always go, "Yeah, but that scene in that film." And the film is already good, and that is No Country for Old Men. The, uh, the yeah, the the coin toss, the coin toss, the shops. You know it, like, absolutely iconic. brilliant. So. Yeah. Many of you will know it, but just in case you don't, so No Country for Old Men, it's this Coen Brothers film, this very violent but uh, incredibly well-told story about uh, money falling into the wrong hands. It's adapted from a novel, it was, Yeah, Cormac Cormac McCarthy novel. That's it, Cormac McCarthy. And it's got Josh Brolin and Javier Bardem and Tommy Lee Jones, but Javier Bardem's character, we begin the film with him Mm. and he's been arrested. And I'm just, this is important because it's laying the scene. And uh, he's arrested and he's put in the jail cell. And the film begins with the policeman on the phone talking about how they've caught this guy. What just one policeman alone in this like, you know, uh, one horse town sheriff's office. And out of focus behind him is Javier Bardem. And whilst he's on the phone, Javier Bardem like slips his handcuffs like over his legs and manages to like walk. And he's walking behind the policeman. And literally just as the policeman hangs up, he wraps the, the cuffs around the policeman's neck and, and really uh, violent. Uh, horribly violently kills him. And then once he's escaped, um, uh, Javier Bardem, who's playing this with a complete, you know, monotone. Yeah, like, like awkward charm. Awkward, yeah. That's how it, I awkward, describe it. charming intensity. Yeah, and he, he goes through that film like the Terminator. Yeah, Just totally. steaming through t- till he gets his target. And he, and he, then, and then he, and then he also, you see him kill an, an innocent driver on the, on the highway, right? So this is within like the first five minutes of the film and you're already feeling really uncomfortable. So this guy has a capability for violence yeah. at any moment and he's ruthless and he's cold. Then the film begins, goes off with Josh Brolin. And then it comes back to Javier Bardem in this scene that begins with a shot of this petrol station. Petrol this station, gas, yeah. You know, this gas station, right? And it's like the, the tumbleweed yeah, outside. Yeah, the lich tumbleweed. And it's middle just, of nowhere. Yeah, middle of nowhere. And uh, Javier Bardem's character comes in, just says, you know, he puts the sweets. He's, he's, got, he's got like some um, M&Ms or something. Puts yeah. it down. And, uh, and the, the, the clerk who's writing in the bit of paper says, oh, that'll be 69 cents. And he goes, okay, and how much and how much for the gas? And he goes, oh, and then the, the clerk, innocently making conversation, says, Oh, you get much rain up where you're from? And Javier Badem looks at him. And you just you just know that was the wrong thing to say. Because Javier Badem is immediately thinking, You are you watching me? Yeah. You, you, you're, you're paying or, too much attention or, yeah, to me. Yeah, you've had a, a conversation enough to remember features in yeah. my face. That's how he yeah. thinks. Yeah. And he's like, What way would that be? He's like, I saw you were from Kansas. He's like, What business is it of yours where yeah. I'm from? <laughs> Friendo, yeah. uh, and and he's completely deadpan. The guy goes, "Is he oh. eating sweets?" Yeah, he, yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. already but, eating the yeah, sweets. Yeah, slowly, and, and and the clerk's like, oh, "I didn't mean nothing by it. I yeah. was just making conversation. You didn't mean nothing by it, no." And then and then he already knows he's had too much of yeah. a conversation. Where yeah. he, if if it's so now, happened, so now Javier Bardem is looking at him really intently, and the clerk's like, uh, "Well, um, I bet to see about closing now." He's like, "What time do you close?" Uh, I, I close about because he knows he's lying. He just because he, he know he's enjoying the fact that he's scaring this guy. Yeah, I uh, close about uh, about now. Now is not a time. What time do you close? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I dark usually around dark. Okay, well, maybe I could come back then. Why would you come back then? We'll be closed. <laughs> <laughs> and they have this really awkward like rat-sack conversation, and then it cuts. Uh, then it sort of sorry um, progresses, and uh, he says like, uh, "You have that place out back?" And he's like, "Uh, yeah, that was my." Uh, we've lived here many years. Um, it was my wife's fa- father's place. And that, for some reason, we don't know anything about Javier Bardem's mm. character, but that really ticks him off. He, like, yeah. chokes on the peanut. He goes, <clears throat> you married into it? And the guy says, uh, well, I wouldn't put it like that. What other ways there of putting it? Uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, and he says, you, you married into it, didn't you? And then 
it's clearly this it, it, Harry Abedem underneath, even though he's got that calm exterior, he's getting increasingly irate. And then the conversation builds to a point where he flips a coin, puts it down, and goes, what's the most you've ever lost on a coin toss? Yeah. And he's like, I, I, I need to know what I'm putting up. You've been putting it up your whole life. You've, you, yeah, and, 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 and you're starting to get a sense of Javier Bardem's, or Anton Chigurh, as the character's called, his moral code, very faintly. Like You're starting mm-hmm. to realize that he clearly is driven by some vague ideology yes. that is in there. He's not just a random killer. It's not motiveless, but it's seemingly without like this obvious philosophy yeah. that screams at you. It's like, and, he, and he bases it on the toss of a coin. So mm. it's this weird... And the clock again is kind of stunned. He's like, oh, I don't know what I'm putting up. He's like, you're putting up your whole life. You know how much you know. Make a call. He keeps saying that. That's how it ends. He says, call, "Call, yeah, call." I don't call. And eventually, you re- the clerk realizes what's happening. Goes, well, okay then. Tails, I guess. And and uh, Happy Madam looks at it, and it, and it's brilliant. He just breaks it by going, "Tails, it is." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then literally, the clock goes. <laughs> And even though he, he never mentioned, like, yeah. if it's heads, I'm going to kill you. It's yeah. just this thing you know, yeah. that based on the scene you'd already seen, yeah. that would have happened. And yeah. it would have been done. So you, as an audience member, you it's the great use of dramatic irony. You know this guy could kill someone. You're watching the clerk slowly realize, like, that this guy could do that. Yeah. And you're thinking, please don't. It's, a, it's also a two-faced scene. Yeah, but and it's two-faced. And then what I love is that the guy, like, takes the coin. He goes to put it away. And he goes, don't put it in your pocket. Because then I'll get messed around with all the other coins and it'll just be change. Which it is, <laughs> and then he leaves. It's got that lovely um, Coen Brothers strangeness yeah, to it, you know that like, Coen Brothers strangeness. But you, and then you the finish that well. scene, and you kind of go, "Fuck it, hell, wow!" I, when I was rewatching it earlier, it really was just like I, I can't. You can't take your eyes off it. It's brilliant. You know, what I talked earlier when I said about the scenes, the like micro films. Yes. that is an example. That scene's maybe five minutes long. You show it to someone. That, that's a, that is similar to the opening of Inglorious Bastards. Yes, in the same way. Yes, the 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 the, the, the disgusting charm that is so wonderfully done by yeah. Christoph Waltz. Yeah. And at the very end when he drops it, they're hiring under the floorboards. Yeah. You are, you are you're sheltering you're enemies, sheltering of, the enemies of the state. Yeah. They've been under the floorboards the whole time. And, yeah. and for the fact that he yeah. does this whole pretense yeah. with the pipe and the cleaning and the unwinding. The, of the Dreyfus. And it's another thing we said ages ago is that you could you could watch Christoph. Well, I think it was J- a quote Jamie Foxx said is that he realized how good Christoph Waltz was at acting when he just watched him like open a pen. Mm. And it's like, all this guy's done is get a book out and mm. write. But yeah. he, you could watch him so, do anything. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it, it's similar to that. Inglorious Bastards isn't in my list this week, but because I actually almost think in Glorious Bastards, every single scene is a extractable yes. scene in a bit way, uh, in a bit like the way that Pulp Fiction is. Actually, yes. I watched that. And go, That's a great scene. That's a great scene. And Glorious Bastards has the exact same thing. You so know, similar. the bit in the I love this. I've watched that so many times in the bar under the in the basement with Fassbender. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You oh, know, with fantastic. the like whole play. You yeah, can play I, I, yeah, it's fantastic. So um, good. Yeah, Inglorious Bastards as well. And then with the bit with the strudel later. With yeah, strudel's amazing. And just like when uh, she meets um, Zola, the mm. guy played by Daniel Brühl for the first yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, Inglorious Bastards is fantastic, but it has a similar quality yes. to it. And Javier Bardem is so great at doing, he's fantastic at doing charming and normal and sexy, mm. but he's so good at doing weird and creepy, yeah. but charming. And he does a similar villainous performance in Skyfall. Javier Bardem, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Javier Bardem. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, great, great yeah. example. Anyway, so no country for all, but you know, on that, sorry. Yes. Uh, no country, I have a, you know, a WhatsApp group with lots of guys I did film with at uni and lots of different tastes, lots of different things, very different lives. Yeah. And during lockdown, we were talking and I said, what's the, what's the one film we could all agree on? Ah. So we were whittling it down and we were whittling, whittling, whittling and, we, and we took, it took like a whole day to do, but we eventually realized that No Country for, the, for Old Men was the film that all six of us could go, we actually all agree that's a good film. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Um, okay. This one is from a very different film. It's been very dark today. <laughs> Are um, you changing tone now? A changing tone a little bit, okay. yeah. And this is a scene in The Devil Wears Prada. Okay. And it's the this stuff scene. And oh, it's the yeah. blue belts. And this scene is, it's the best scene in the movie. And it's, it's one of like Meryl Streep's best scenes, mm. period. But if you don't know in The Devil Wears Prada, there's this scene when... Uh, Anne Hathaway, who's this new secretary to Miranda Priestley, who's like essentially the head of Vogue, but this fictional version called Runway in this film. And um, there's this meeting between like her chief designers and they're going through this outfit for this show. And one of the, one of the designers holds up two almost identical blue belts. And she goes to Miranda, I mean, we've got these two belts, but I just don't know, they're so different. And Anne Hathaway just goes, <laughs> 
and laughs to herself. And everyone stops and stares at her. And Miranda Priestley, who's still this point, has not acknowledged her existence, has not asked her who she is, has just completely interrogated her, has said, um, basically, like, looks at her outfit which is this very plain, very boring frumpy boot jumper. And she, said, she says this amazing speech. I won't read all of it, but she says something on the lines of, you go to your closet and you select, I don't know, that lumpy blue sweater, for instance, because you're trying to tell the world that you don't take yourself too seriously to care about what you put on your back. Mm -hmm. because, but what you don't know is that that sweater isn't just blue. It isn't turquoise. It's not lapis. It's actually cerulean. And that cerulean was featured in a runway that Oscar de la Hoya did in 2006 which from then featured eight different designs that were featured in East Saint Laurent and eventually, through some sort of osmosis, filtered down to the department stores and whatever bargain bin that you drawed it from, you picked it up thinking that you would... And she goes on about how this thing that you yeah. think is not designed. Yeah. Actually, and she says, actually, this thing that, that you think is just a blue sweater represented hundreds of millions of dollars mm -hmm. and countless jobs. And the very people who you think is just blue, that choice was made for you 10 years ago by people in this room. Yeah. And this scene is effective for two reasons. One, it has a very interesting statement about fashion, but it introduces the stakes of fashion. For people who aren't interested in fashion, can go to this movie and be like, oh, the decisions that are made here are really good. You've already established Miranda Priestley as a horrible person who's rude to the people she works with, but it, it, it establishes her as credible and that she knows what she's talking about. Mm. And that's why I think it's so effective. And it has the statement that even if you're someone who doesn't choose to engage in fashion, the decision to not engage in fashion is inherently mm. engaging in fashion anyway. Yeah. Because you showing that you don't care about fashion is a statement in yes. itself. And there's actually no way to not make a statement mm. by what you wear because you are going to put something on yourself. Mm. And it has so many broader things to say. Stanley Tucci's in the scene, just yeah. eyebrow acting, and it's yeah. and he's good enough in everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just think it's this fantastic moment where she then goes on, she realizes she should take care of what, what yeah. she looks like. But brilliantly delivered yes. by Meryl Streep. I didn't do it justice at no, all. No, no. But uh, it's this fantastic monologue, and I just think it's this scene where everything stands still. Miranda Priestley is talking, and, and it's fantastic. You know, it's funny you mentioned that scene. I love that, yeah. yeah. And I always remember that. I think it was Mark Kermode who... Oh, sorry, because we were talking about Spielberg earlier with yes. um, Schindler's List. Yeah. I think it was Mark Kermode who talked about Saving Private Ryan, you know, the shaky... and You know, when, when Saving Private Ryan, where he's so traumatized, his ear goes... Yeah. You just hear the white noise and you can't hear any of the action. Yes. So you're looking at scenes of massive noise, massive explosions, and you can't hear any of it. Like just, all you get is the ringing in your ear, that like tinnitus sound, right? Mark Kermode was saying that it went from that in Saving Private Ryan and now through some sort of osmosis mm. that has whittled its way down to be the everyday language of any action film, film yes. ever. Yeah. That's just what it is. That moment now is so commonplace. When I go back and watch Saving Private Ryan, it doesn't click. Yeah. Because I'm so desensitized exactly. to seeing yes. it. Yeah. It's, like, it's like knowing where, where that came from. Mm. Yeah, and I just, I just like this idea that whether it's film or fashion, it's like a lot of what we think we like or what we think we like about films and pop culture, mm. it was fed to us. Yeah. And like the, these decisions of what we, th what like things we like to buy yeah. was advertised. Okay. Completely um, cultivated it, in us inorganically. You could take yeah. that, what, exactly what she says and apply it to so many things. Yeah. And I, I, think, I, think in, I think in life, there are lots of people who behave like the character of Miranda Priestley. I've worked for people who behave like that character. But the people I worked for never like I felt were brilliant or never I felt were actually credible it, yeah. or good enough at their jobs. But like they immediately tell you that like the stakes are real in fashion and this person, while horrible, knows what she's talking about. And that's why it's scary what mm. she has to say. And that's why she's a brilliant character. Mm. Um, and yeah, it just sticks Very with good. you. It sticks Very with you. good. A scene from a film that always stuck out to me, even though I've only seen this film once, mm -hmm. was a scene from Leon. You ever seen Leon, the professional? Leon, no. Okay, so Jean Reno and, yes, and Natalie Portman is a mm -hmm. you know you saw the premise. He's a he's a you know hitman, professional hitman, and uh, she's a girl, and he sort of takes her under her wing, under his wing, and it it's filmed by Luke Besson. And even though the exteriors are filmed in New York, the interiors apparently were filmed in uh, Paris, and it has got this kind of definite like uh, Euro feel on it. Mm. If I can use such a horribly broad term, yeah. Anyway. The scene that stands out in my mind is a scene with Gary Oldman, who plays the villain in it, right? He plays the character of Stansfield, who's this completely deranged detective, right? Um, I think that's a slight spoiler, actually, because I think you don't find out he's a detective until later. Okay. I digress. Anyway, 
Um, so you've already seen them hassling this guy in the building where Leon lives, right? So Leon can see this through his key, through the eye hole in the door. And the, there's a couple of doors down. They've been harassing him for something to do with drugs, right? Like, some sort of criminality. Yeah. And he hasn't paid or whatever. So the next scene is you've got all these heavies outside of uh, this guy's door with lots of guns and stuff. And you just see Gary Oldman in a sort of very plain suit, very sweaty, pull out a little uh, tin take a little pill and, he, and then, it, then it cuts to like a, a, a bird's eye view shot and he like cracks it in his mouth like this he kind of goes and he goes and then he then he goes in a way then he's very hammy in this but it works because it's kind of over the top and operatic anyway so he goes like I love these calm little moments before the storm ah it makes me think of Beethoven and he like grabs the shotgun and he says, do you like Beethoven? And he goes, like, oh, I don't know, boss. He's like, I'll play you some. Goes <laughs> <laughs> into the flat, right? And uh, he walks in and there's a, like, um, the teenage girl's in there. She's like, ah! She starts screaming, starts running. He shoots after and misses. What was the pill? It was, I don't know, some, some generic some, like, uh, upper. Uh, I don't know, some upper. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just not described. Like, ecstasy like, or something. I have yeah. no idea. Um, and then he like walks further into the flat. Then he goes, <gasps> walk, walks back a little bit. Busts open the bathroom door again. Shot from a point, um, a bird's eye view shot, yeah. which is the mother in the bathtub with all the bubbles up and all the foam, listening to music. And he like shoots her through the water, so it comes out the back of the bathtub. And starts, oh like, wow! Down. Then like the girls like running around going ah da 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 da, and he like catches her again in the hallway and shoots her. Goes in the the, the kitchen, like smashes all the things down, all the pots and pans, and like it, and then he walks into the one end of the living room, and the guy he's trying to find is in shock up against the wall in the other side of the living room through um you know beaded curtain mm. and gary oldman's like mm, 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 mm. and all the while it's quite it's punctured by a little bit of humor because his heavies yeah are, like hear the shooting they're trying to like creep in and every time gary oldman goes past they almost think they have to shoot and they go ah, ah, anyway oh, and then gary oldman looks at the guy in the other end of the living room walks on and he parts the beads with his hands and he goes up and he says, puts his watch right by the guy's face. And he says, we said noon. I've got one minute past. And then the, the, the audio track, the, the you know, any sort of score cuts out when he does that. Very well told. I feel like I'm there. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah. And, 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 and then it's quite close. And again, he's got this like sweaty face mm. and he's completely manic. The mania is so good. And looks at this guy and he's like, hmm. you don't like Beethoven. I leans up on the mantelpiece oh and it's like you should and, and then he says something like uh, um, uh, I have to say though uh, he's, after his overtures he does tend to get a little fucking boring and then he, leave, he keeps leaving these big pauses in his speech and he's like that's why I stopped <laughs> toss the apartment and then they start like throwing things and, oh um, and then meanwhile like it cuts back to him and he's like you know I, do you like Mozart? I love Mozart. He's a little bit light for these kind of things. Sorry, I went a bit Robert Downey Jr. Then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Do I Mozart, man? Um, and he's like, Brahms is good too. And um, and then something happens where they the police haven't realized that there's a small child, like a, like a toddler, underneath one of the beds. Not a toddler. He's probably about five years old, mm. a little boy, who he's, he's still in the flat. Um, and then it kind of goes off and tells that. But afterwards, you're just like. What? Who is this deranged guy in this thing? And what an introduction for Gary Oldman. I feel like Gary Oldman read it and went, okay, okay, yeah. That's at about a 10. I'm going to bring that up to about a 100. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but make it work within the confines of this scene. So you're kind of watching... Uh, I'm good sorry, in everything, Gary Oldman. He, he, he is kind of good in everything. And yeah. he, uh, Gary Oldman is very good at manic and very yeah. good at mania. Yeah. And I like the fact he bottles that, bottles that lightning into the scene, which works to heighten the kind of camp uh, over the topness of the scene whilst completely not derailing the overall film. Yeah. So it still works. Not quite Nicolas Cage. So it's not full cartoon. It, it, it's almost like he's holding this mm. tension between the two because it is kind of ridiculous, this guy kind of talking about Beethoven and stuff. It's very over the top. But in the same way, the, the, the violence that he's just shown, he completely indiscriminately kills these innocent people. Yeah. Completely undercuts the kind of buffoonery. Um, and I've always just remembered that scene. I've always kind of gone back to it and watched it and I thought, that's a, 
That's a good scene. Oh, can you do the rest of the film? <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop. No, that was brilliant. That sounds uh, incredible. Okay. Gary Oldman. I do birthdays and bar mitzvahs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Next up in the corner, uh, oh, George's favorite scene from Leon the Professional. <laughs> You've already missed Who no likes country. Beethoven? You've yeah. already missed No Country for Old Men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and now, never rarely, sometimes always. Yeah. <laughs> you can be on like a cruise ship, Tuesday to Thursday, you do different <laughs> scenes. Your favorite scenes for a one-man show. <laughs> um, yeah, Gary Oldman is, um, I was about to say he's underrated, but I don't think that's no, fair. No, he's completely he's, he's rated. completely rated in every way and is well established. But he's just, he's, he's brilliant and versatile. And maybe he doesn't get enough credit. That's the same as saying underrated. He gets enough credit. Yeah, he does. He gets he, enough he's, credit. He's an Oscar-nominated actor who's been working for like 40 years. I remember him watching him as Dracula and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Do you remember Never that? seen it. That's a that's a film. Whoa. I mean, like, it's, it's good, but Keanu yeah, Reeves delivers the worst acting performance period oh no keanu like in a film that's a film that went out yeah <laughs> like i know there are public consumption public consumption that would have gone through layers of approval <laughs> it's the worst it's the worst acting performance i've ever seen and then you've got gary oldman doing this like crazy uh yeah. dracula performance but yeah what an actor what yeah actor. i remember like not being knowing much who gary oldman was as a kid and then watching the third harry potter film because he plays Sirius black mm -hmm. i remember as like a dumb little kid i was like oh, i think that guy's a really good actor yeah. he's definitely like a cut above the other like you know Obviously, you've got all the great actors like Maggie Smith or whoever. Yeah. Like, that guy's good. Yeah, What's yeah. his name? Yeah, He's yeah. probably a big, big actor, like mm. idiot that I was. Um, before I do my last one, I just want to give a quick shout out to scenes that you and I have mentioned on this podcast before that we're not going to go into. Okay. But because we've already mentioned them. And I'll say the end of the Truman Show, the scene which we've discussed. Yes, that's an ending though. It's so an ending. Talk about that. Oh, oh no. You just I have to talk about scene from the Truman Show now. I oh, have to talk about it. What do you mean? I cannot believe I have not talked about <laughs> one of my favorite scenes in a different of all Truman time. Show scene. A different Truman Show. Truman Show okay, is, is one of my favorite films. Okay, before you do, shall oh. I just rack off this list? Because I, I believe yeah, of you. Of course. Because we talked about the end of the Truman show where, where it hits yeah, yeah, the ship. Fantastic. Um, social network, I think there's two scenes in that we talked about, which is the Valoya's deposition, you're part yes. of my tension, and then the Mark Yeah, the laptop smashing. Yep, yep. Um, uh, and also the um, the rowing scene. I like that when it comes yes. to, uh, you know, basically that's like an Inglorious Bastards, but you take Every scene yeah. is good. Um, Interstellar final scene, we talked about. Yeah. Uh, Jaws, the fishing rod clicking, oh, we talked so about. Good. Please go look at our other stuff if you want to hear us talk about this. Inglorious Bastards opening scene, we actually talked about way early back. Uh, I Am Your Father from Star Wars, just the whole way that shot, sure. just fantastic. And then that car scene in Hereditary, we had mentioned. Oh, God. Which just, it's a scene that, if you've seen it, you know what I mean. If you've seen it, you know what we mean. But these are films that we talked about before. But I just want to give them a shout out because those are amazing scenes that you can go check out. But the Truman Show, you just exploded with enthusiasm. I know. I just did Leon. Do you mind if I just jump in? Let's go for it. Okay. I haven't. I haven't gone back and rewatched this in prep to think, but I think I know it off my heart anyway. You weren't doing the lines to yourself like you did Leon, going around your flat like the shotgun. No, I wasn't. No. So one of my favorite scenes, can't believe in the Truman Show is when Truman starts to realize what's happening. Yes. Right. It's not that he knows that he's being filmed. I think it's, you did talk about this, but I'll let you do it again. Yeah, it's when he starts to question his reality. So I think, it, you know, there's that bit earlier in the film where the police radio goes off. But this is the one where oh, I really wish I'd re-watched it. In fact, shall I just re-watch it now? No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's too, too long. Anyway, he starts to suspect, and it's the one where he, like, goes to work. That's it. Okay, I've got it. It's the scene <laughs> where Truman starts to go to work and he goes in the revolving door and he immediately comes out again. Yeah. And he stops to look to see if anyone's noticed and anything's just, and people are just carrying on. Yeah. And it's like, he's becoming self-aware. He's like yes. recognizing his point in the machinery. And then he goes through again, he comes out and he like, remember he runs up to someone on like a ladder and like, hits them with this briefcase and then he runs away and he looks back and, and no one's no reacting. No one's doing anything, yeah. And that's the weird thing. That's what he's starting to realize. And he runs into the shop where his friend works. He's like, something's weird happening, man. I feel like I'm just going to do something crazy. We should just like get out of here or something. And obviously the actor he's is like trying, refilling he's, the like, he's like, man, I got loads yeah. of work to do. I can get out today. Maybe tomorrow. And it's all that thing about keeping Truman grounded, grounded in the show. And he doesn't like, and then oh, I love it. He's like walking and he's really confused and he walks into the road and the bus stops immediately. Do you remember yeah, the bus yeah. stops straight away? Because it, it knew where he was. And also. as soon as it does it, it kicks in this song by Philip Glass called, I think it's Anthem 2, which I think is from a different film. I think it might be from Koyana Scoutsy. And it's like, dum, 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 dum. And he's looking at the bus 
and he's starting to figure it out. And it, it's literally like a Matrix moment where you, you almost yeah. put Morpheus in the go, he's starting to believe. Yeah. And Look then, at the remember, red woman. Look again. Do you remember? <laughs> he, like, he looks at the bus and he, he holds up his hand. Yeah. And, he's and, and he's then, wondering if he's yeah, like. And then, like, yeah. he turns and the other car stops immediately and he's like. Yeah. Dun, 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 and it's like. Do, 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 do. And 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 it's just and then you've he's just like thinking about it and he, I think he sits down on a park bench and it's like a school trip and there's all this disruption and um people keep starting to recover like all the time there's like a dog runs by without its owner and, and you get like when he's in the car with Marrow he's like you see they just go round and round yeah, yeah, over yeah, and over yeah, again yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they look and wait for it yeah and there it is I told yeah. you it comes again so yeah. I've kind of remembered that from the back of my mind but I love that scene actually you could probably tell as I was thinking yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna have to watch that tonight I just Trim know it. no oh, no, no just scene. that I yeah, don't have time to watch that but that just that scene well the scene when he goes into the 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 lift the elevator oh, the, yeah, yeah. and it's like not a lift it's like behind Laura back, backstage Laura is so good in that film as playing the kind of annoying but slightly sympathetic all of the the, 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 the wife you know yeah. she's like uh, an elevator just went down and it plummeted loads of people dead yeah. and I've always uh, loved the bit where you know Truman is really like whacked out now and he's thinking what's going on and he starts to say weird stuff she goes I was thinking we could have a new glass of cocoa. <laughs> I've tried other cocos. He's this like, is the best. Who are you talking to? I love who are that. you talking to I right sometimes now? say that to people when like they just I'll make you sense I feel like going what are you talking about? What are you talking about, man? Who are you talking to? Yeah. Who are you talking to? There's that very great bit where he manages to run away where no one can find him. And the entire yeah, town yeah, yeah, yeah. does a sweep. Like, And his best friend is there. Like, Truman, hey, buddy, let's talk. I've yeah. got beers. Like, why don't we go for a talk? Yeah, and they get his da- they even get his dad back. Do you remember? That's the whole thing that's yeah. up with the dad. He's like, hey, it's oh. awful. Awful. Wow, wonder. <laughs> Sorry, you really got me excited. I just couldn't I believe I forgot that. So fantastic. Sorry, Truman Show scene. Oh, love it. Over to you. I think I'll do one more as a quick one. Um, and it's more because I think this film is brilliant. But um, this scene in particular, which is just the end of When Harry Met Sally, when oh. uh, he finally... Uh, just like the dialogue in that, in the that scene. The end of When Harry Met Sally. The end yeah. of When Harry Met Sally. Of when, he's, when, when he says, quote, I love that you're the last person I want to talk to you before I go to sleep at night. And it's not because I'm lonely. And it's not because it's New Year's Eve. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Billy oh. Crystal. And it's good, not just because the writing is good, but because it's so cathartic. And I've always has, I always have this thing that films that take place over a long period of time feel like longer films because you've seen yeah. people progress change, through yeah. a year and change and you really get the sense that you've been with these characters for so long. I don't know how that film gets away with de-aging Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan to the extent of maybe Meg Ryan more than Billy Crystal, but oh, well, it weirdly works in yeah, the beginning when, they're, when, they're, when they're like coming out of uh, college. I think it is they, they pull his hairline forward Yeah, and, and they put so much makeup on. I wouldn't be surprised they put like staples to like, like stretch his skin <laughs> back. Because yeah. really you look young. at him at the end of the film and you're like, oh, that's Billy Crystal around that time and you're going, wow. But the fact is, is that these characters are so well thought out. They're so well written and that moment where in especially towards like the latter half of the film where you can tell that they're both questioning mm. the decisions that they've made and it's it's such a it's such a grown-up romance tale oh, love that even though it starts with them being t- a teenage it's it always felt grown up and mm. proper and like you were listening to two adults yeah. talk about something well like like they keep you know during that film remember they keep cutting to the real couples yes oh brilliant yeah yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Like, we managed each other's yeah. sentences I, I love that i love it when couples speak like that i always say like you two are talking like the the opening scenes of when harry met sally when they no, no you tell her though. Okay. <laughs> well, we went to, to the bakery. The bakery. Yeah, yeah, the bakery. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just that scene being so cathartic. And it is it is a happy ending. And yeah. it, it's not necessarily a film that needed a happy ending no. to be successful. Um, but it's it's that very sappy line, which in a lot of other films would yeah. fall flat. But when it comes from Harry, yeah. it really works. Also because Harry is the sarcastic. Yes, like exactly. The, He's the, the jokey one. So when he says something completely straight, it's... Uh, yeah. And uh, it, it's more of a testament to, to the film landing the plane. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that scene, that that that, le- that makes you leave that uh, screening and go, wow, what a, what a fantastic film. Hats off to you for not choosing the I'll have what she's having scene. Yeah, it, it, of course that's yeah, great. See, yeah, but, but, but that's, that's a line. Yeah, the but, scene is also good. Yeah. So is this a line, but I just think they're coming together no, no, and landing yeah. the plane. I love that. I love the scene in When Harry Met Sally where they go for dinner with uh, uh, Carrie Fisher. Yes. And Bruno Kirby. And it's meant to be Bruno Kirby's set up with Sally. And yes. Carrie Fisher's set up with Harry. But it's really awkward. And then, like, 
Carrie Fisher has like a bit of like small touch. Says I read somewhere that uh, you know like restaurants like the new concerts or something like that. And Bruno Kirby's like, I wrote that. I wrote that. And then they have this immediately like sparky. <laughs> yeah. bit. And then like ha- and then like Meg goes, oh really? Well, Harry does this thing. She goes, oh yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I love that. Um, Rob Reiner directed when Harry yeah. Met Sally, written by Nora Ephron, Nora of course, Ephron, very yeah. Nora, Ephron, Nora Ephron film. But Rob Reiner had such a string of hits yeah. in the 80s. Okay, I'm talking like A Few Good Men, Spinal Tap, Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Stand By Me, oh, Misery. Shit, yeah. like, like a proper like boom, boom, boom. But if he retired at that point, like, you'd go, that guy, had a, that guy had a good oeuvre. Like Spielberg in the 80s and 90s, just fire every single one's yeah. a hit. <laughs> yeah. Just go, go, more, go. Yeah. More, more, more. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to leave it there. Yeah, I think I think we could easily talk about this in another episode, and we might return to it as we do. Say, we say this every week. You scratch the surface. Yeah, we always return to it. It's a nice mixture of different scenes there. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. 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 Real. Needed. No, we, absolutely. Yeah. But so, just, you yeah. don't want to just choose the intense ones where like the people are hiding under the floorboards, no, <laughs> like yeah. they no. kill the guy, and <laughs> yeah. you know we realize we need to save them all. Um, mm. Yeah. I, tr- I tried to mix it up a bit, but and it's um, uh, please please send us some, but by by no means like you missed out this scene. I know I missed out yeah. that. There scene. are a lot of films mention. that exist there are, a lot of fil- there are a lot of great scenes in in films uh we could definitely do this again we could do like another four totally. each and um, i think we've you know what is the art of a good scene yeah i, don't know. I think i think i've said i said it in this episode but i think again it's just that if it can be extracted and stand on its own two feet yeah and you can watch it as a clip as a little mini movie it works perfectly. And like that fact you talked about a, two, a couple of weeks ago where you're saying if an effective scene which is that turning point for a character that works mm. really well to have a corner turn in a story yeah. and then you go that is it now that is forever changed yeah. anyway let us know what you think amazing thank you very much for listening to this episode of Pulp Kitchen as always we all post a new episode of this show every single Wednesday mm-hmm. and we have other bits going out on the channel throughout the week of course as well we've got extra bits we've got news reviews games impressions whatever it's on TikTok it's on Instagram and all the other channels YouTube Spotify etc have I missed anything I think that's all please give this uh, episode a like please subscribe give the YouTube some love if you're listening uh, and those little five the, the, the star rating on Spotify that's really nice as well yes. if you do that and let us know your thoughts as we were talking about earlier. I think that's all. I think that's all. Bye. See you next week. Bye.